the gospel portion for this Sunday is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. It's a familiar story. I know I told you all to sit down, but please stand. We learned something from the ancients that when in the presence of a king you stand, and we are about to hear the, our king, King Jesus, speak. So we stand to honor his words and the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the good news according to Matthew. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate, and they all were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides the women and the children. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the words from my lips and the meditation from my heart may not only be acceptable in your sight, but will bring blessing and life to your people. Pray that uh, you will speak through your word, that you will not only bless us and encourage us, but challenge us. And we pray that um, we will all have the grace to respond to the way in which you speak to us this morning. Amen. We have a... um, very well-known, um, but rich, rich passage. And the passage speaks to us, I believe, in the way that all gospel passages should speak to us. It tells us something very important about Jesus, and it also tells us something about discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what does this say to us? What does the story say to us about Jesus? As we have a, um, we have all four gospels that um, record this story. So without question, it's important. And of course, Matthew, not wanting to be left out, has two feedings. 
Um, and for Matthew especially, this story is going to connect with Moses and it connects with Elijah. And what it wants, Matthew wants us to know is that while Jesus is something very new, he's also something very old. That he's not uh, dropping down onto this planet on a spaceship, but somehow no connection to the past. Right? That Jesus comes in the tradition of Moses, he comes in the tradition of Elijah. And interestingly, this morning is... In many churches around the world, it's Transfiguration Sunday. And uh, in our congregation, we celebrate this the Sunday before Lent. But it's very, very relevant to the passage in which we're reading. Because like Moses and like Elijah, right, there are many similarities. In the case of Elijah, where the Spirit is on Elijah just as the Spirit is on Moses. Jesus heals. Jesus does miracles with animals. Jesus does miracles with food. Jesus raises the dead, as Elijah did. Jesus preaches repentance, like Elijah did. And of course, in the case of Moses, Jesus comes, and he is a teacher, left emphasis on healing, but Jesus teaches, yes, as Moses taught, Jesus provides food, as we read in this case, as Moses provided food, or God provided food through Moses. And Moses leads his people from slavery to the promised land. And those similarities can be easily overlooked where they can be uh, easily brushed aside. But we should focus on Moses for a moment. Because here we have the story of Moses, or that we have a story of Jesus, who at many points should remind us of uh, Moses and the people of Israel in the desert, where Moses provides... Again, through God provides through Moses food in a very, very improbable situation in the desert where there is, there are no shopping malls. Amazon is not delivering, yes, at least it hasn't uh, extended its reach as far as the Sinai Desert. And where are, how, are, how are people going to survive? How are people going to eat? God delivered the people, and of course the faith of, of Israel at that time is weak, and uh, their understanding is God brought us out here to die. Well, God didn't bring the people out to die. God brought the people out to give them life. God brought the people out to bring them to the promised land. But how do you get to the promised land? You have to walk. It's a, it's a walk. It's you make an effort. There's a learning process involved. And the people of Israel have to learn, right, that um, listening to God is sometimes risky, sometimes uncertain. 
Yet still, God's instruction is to go forward and to walk, yes, into the promised land. And at the point when people believe that they're going to starve to death, yes, in a place that's incredibly improbable, yes, God provides food. Yes, God provides for his people in uh, a desert in a desert place, in the most extreme circumstances, in the most unlikely circumstances, right? God comes through in a, in a way that's uh, generous, liberal, and uh, supplies people's needs in a way that uh, is perhaps humanly incomprehensible. But Moses is not only a provider. Moses is a teacher. And Moses not wants to bring people out of slavery, but he also wants to, bring, to take, you might say, Egypt out of the people. And he wants the people of Israel to reflect the character of God and to live in a way that brings blessing, and live in a way that brings well-being to, to Israel. You might ask yourself, why does God need all these rules and regulations? Well, I mean, what's the purpose of all this? It just seems kind of crazy and awfully detailed. But in Deuteronomy tells us, God speaks through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. And in, and in uh, chapter 10, he says that um, to, through Moses, I want Israel to uh, fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, to observe the Lord's commandments and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. For your own good. Meaning God is God's commandments. And here we have this image, do we not? God's just an old man in the sky at least that's how many people, secular people, and even some Christians think of God. God's just up there, and he's trying to keep us from having fun. And he was working on that 24-7. But God says, no, the commandments are given, you, given for your own good. And what does Moses do? Moses teaches. Moses teaches. Teaches so that people can come into holiness, and he teaches the, the people of Israel that by obeying God's commandments, they actually will flourish. They actually will do well. They actually will prosper. Maybe not <clears throat> in every case <clears throat> financially, but there's prosperity and obedience. That's the paradigm. And freedom? Well, everybody likes to be free. Everybody wants to not live under oppression or to live under the yoke of, an, of, of, a, of another master. In fact, the watchwords of my generation and maybe your generation too, yes, the, the bumper sticker is be free, be free. But in all truth and honesty, being free is not necessarily good. Being free or freedom in and of itself is neutral. 
And that freedom can be used for evil. It can be used to bring about self-destruction. Or it can also be used yeah, to enter into a fully committed relationship with God in which we have no, you might say, other entanglements, nothing oppressing us, and not, not a, and there are no addictions, yes, or fears, or whatever it may be, yes, that keep us from entering into God's, fully entering into God's presence, to fully entering into a relationship with Him. And that's, by the way, the purpose of the Exodus. purpose of the Exodus was simply not to just bring Israel to the Holy Land so that they could have falafels and uh, a great air force and uh, they could uh, invent lots of nice um, uh, high-tech uh, medical devices. The purpose of the Exodus is summed up in... I've read this verse more than once, but I think it's the most, one of the most important verses in the, in the Pentateuch. It says, the Lord said, after he set, has Aaron set up a tent of meeting and the altar, God says, after these things are complete, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know I am the Lord, their God who brought them out of Egypt, so I might dwell among them. I am the Lord. Purpose of the Exodus, purpose of Moses and the leaving to the promised land is so that God might dwell amongst his people, so that they will not be enslaved to the Egyptians or enslaved to their gods, but that they will be servants of the Lord, so that they will only have one master. Yes, that's Moses, that's the story of the exile, sorry, the exodus. And it's in this, this story that we read, Jesus taking bread, yes, looking, take, looking up to heaven, blessing it, breaking it, giving, a, giving that bread to his disciples to then feed the crowd the hungry crowd, is that we not only look back to Moses, but we also look forward, yes, to what we call the Last Supper. We look forward to Jesus on the eve of his death, taking bread, yes, giving thanks, breaking the bread, and giving it to his disciples. And of, obviously, yes, Jesus, again, coming in the tradition of Moses, coming in the way of Moses, connecting with Israel's past, is going to do something radical and new. Because Jesus will bring liberation. And that liberation will not be simply from physical slavery, although in some cases it might be, when the power of God breaks addiction in our life, whether it's psychological or physical. Right? But Jesus will bring redemption from something greater than Egyptian slavery or something greater simply than poverty or even uh, political oppression, not to minimize any of those things. But Jesus will bring first uh, break the power of sin 
He will break the fear of death, and he will break the hold of the devil and the lives of his people. Yes. It's sin, death, and the devil. And that freedom is remembered, and it's relived when we come to the Lord's table. Every Sunday we come to the Lord's table as a way to relive, to participate in that death and the resurrection, and also to remember. It is more than just a remembering. And so Jesus is, people like to say he's the new Moses. Okay, I don't always like that term, but he comes into, he enters into the stream of Israel's history, yes, and fulfills the expectations of the, of the Jewish people and expands them to, some, to, a, to something universal, to, some, to send death and the devil, which not only afflicts the people of Israel, but afflicts the entire human family. And in all of this, what, is, what, is, what do we learn? We learn that Jesus, especially in our passage, Jesus does this out of compassion. Yes, the motivation for Jesus is his love for people. The motivation is that Jesus can see, see all of us stuck in a slavery, yes, that is bringing us not only destruction, but also an internal destruction. And out of, it's out of that compassion, it's out of that mercy, yes, that motivates the ministry of Jesus. And the way that the, that the compassion, you might say, expresses itself practically, um, and especially in Matthew's gospel, it's over and over again, we have this, you might say, this statement. The statement is that Jesus goes through the Galilee, he's teaching in their synagogues, he's preaching, and he's healing. Right? Matthew likes to emphasize teaching, preaching, healing. And Jesus will do this, um, this will be an expression, you might say, of his brokenheartedness for the situation in which we as human beings uh, human beings find ourselves. And um, we read a little earlier in the year, it says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, meaning Jesus takes the initiative. He goes to people. In this case, he's not letting people come to him. He goes to people in towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease. So in teaching, preaching, and healing, right, Jesus, comes to, <clears throat> Jesus comes to bring life. And it's interesting that our story yes, is preceded by the death of John the Baptist. And so here we have Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. He is fearful of John the Baptist. He enters into a, an illicit marriage, a marriage condemned on several levels by the Torah itself, by the scripture. 
John, of course, points out uh, that what he's doing is wrong. Herod fears John the Baptist, but the daughter of Herodias, the woman that he married, danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked, prompted by her mother, who was no doubt offended and equally fearful. Give me the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. Now what, um, because of his oath and his dinner guests, Mark's gospel tells us that he invites all the, the, the big shots, all of the, uh, the local aristocracy and those, the important men of his kingdom. And yes, in front of them, he gives an oath. And then after hearing that um, she wants the head of John the Baptist, he can't back down. Now, think, let's think about it for a moment. Yes, what, if, what are the motivations of those, not all, but most of those who are in power, right? What is Herod going to do in this case? And Herod, who's anxious about his authority and worried about what people are going to think and who, while he might have power, doesn't really have power, right? Because there's always a nervousness and a fear that someone's going to come and take, it, take that power away. And of course, he does the most expedient thing. And those motivation, that motivation, right, is contrasted, with, again, with the motivation of Jesus. Jesus, when he hears about the death of his cousin, goes away to mourn. And yet, in his mourning, when he sees the needs of the people, he responds. Right? He gives himself, even when it's not convenient. And so, we can probably ask ourselves, if the gospel tells us something about who Jesus is, shouldn't the gospel tell us something about what it means to be his disciple? Yes. And we can always ask ourselves, what are the motivations? What, what motivates us to, A, be compassionate, or to be kind, or to be loyal, or to do the right thing? What, can, what motivates us to minister and give to others? And it doesn't help hurt yes, to ask ourselves that question. And the, the goal is to, be, is to have that compassion, right? That mercy that Jesus had for others. Twice in this gospel, Jesus quotes from Hosea when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So what motivates us? What is... Uh, what pushes us? And we might find ourselves, well, we have mixed motives. Well, that's a, being honest with ourselves is a good start. 
But can we go further? Yes, and ask that um, what is selfish in us or misguided in us would be replaced, you know, by the compassion that Jesus had, right, for his people during the time in which we lived. So I don't think it's inappropriate to ask for that gift and to share, you know, that's that... Um, that um, motivation, you know, with with um, so much of the healing ministry of Jesus is again done out of compassion. Here we have Jesus providing physical needs, and so whether it's provision, physical provision, or whether it is healing, as we read in many cases, or whether it's deliverance from the devil. I think we need to keep in mind that in all these instances, provision, healing, deliverance, yes, it's the goal of Jesus to restore people to well-being. It's the goal of Jesus to um, meet emotional needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, restore those who are kind of pushed out, to restore them to society and to restore them to their family. That's how compassion expresses itself. It expresses itself in healing. It expresses itself in teaching. And of course, teaching, as Moses taught, yes, why does Jesus spend so much time teaching? Because, again, when we obey, when we obey the teachings of Jesus, yes, when we become Christ-like, yes, we become God-like. And, of course, the goal of obedience is to enter into holiness, which gives us an, a deeper relationship with the Lord, yes, a more intimate more powerful relationship with the Lord, a very stronger identity, who we are, and how we can stand against the pressures of the outside world. Right? But it's also for our well-being. Right? Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you. How blessed are you? Meaning, how fortunate, how happy, you know, uh, how much to be envied, yes, if you do these things, right? But what it truly means to be a human being and to enjoy a prosperity, yes, to enjoy uh, the so-called good life that everybody is seeking after, it's found in obedience to Jesus. It's found in teaching. It's found in sitting at the Master's feet and putting His... Um, words, putting his uh, understanding yes, of God and um, of himself into practice. And finally, you have, you have the statement, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And this is one of the, I think, the most powerful Yes, commands of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. 
The disciples say, well, there's no food. We only have a little bit. And what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. And here Jesus is, he's also teaching, right? He's bringing healing. He's bringing provision. He is at the center of all of this. And at the same time, he says to us, oftentimes we're weak in faith or limited in faith. He says, now you get involved. And what Jesus is teaching is that we can't sit and be passive. Or we can't sit and, and do this. Yeah? We say in American English, twiddle our thumbs like, Oh my, what should I do? What should I, what can I do? The need is so great. It's so big. I don't even know where to begin. I'm, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with all the corruption and injustice in this world. Um, it's overwhelming me. You know, the best thing to do is look, <clears throat> look after my family and wait till Jesus comes. Yes? Because the world's just getting worse. And uh, more and more people don't like Christians like they used to. Right? So there's a passivity. Oftentimes there's a confusion. Oftentimes we are overwhelmed by evil. And you know, just as Jesus goes out... He goes to their he goes to villages, towns, synagogues, and at the end of the gospel, he tells his disciples to go. Right? There's no room or excuse for passivity. Yes. Ultimately, there's no room for being a bystander. Right? There's no room for saying, "Well, if I get involved, it might be risky. I might suffer." I might, uh, people might say bad things about me on on Facebook. I might get canceled, which today might be a badge of honor. Okay? Uh, Sort of like a new martyrdom, yes. Instead of being physically martyred, you're martyred on, your reputation is martyred. And for many of us, you know, our reputation, what people think of us, is is extremely important. So much so that uh, we're not willing to risk it. What should I do? Again, whether it's confusion or even a a hopelessness, Jesus says, give them something to eat. Meaning we, as disciples, need to be involved. But our involvement is in partnership with Jesus. It is, not a, it is not that we see every good cause and that we try to fix every problem in the world. There are a lot of problems, huge number of problems. But here, involvement or commitment or taking a risk and stepping out in faith, all of that is in cooperation with Jesus. Right? He's the one who directs. We enter into partnership with him. He doesn't enter into partnership with us. It's like, God, I got this beautiful idea and I want you to, I want you to uh, accomplish it through me. It's no, it's 
The work of the, king, the, work of the kingdom of heaven is simply this, that we go where Jesus is going, that we follow the lead of the Spirit, that we follow his commands. And here Jesus is in the midst of these people. He's starting to provide them with food, right? And then he says, you give them something to eat. We have, we'll have many of us will have great ideas and we'll all have wonderful projects. The question is, are they directed by Jesus? Yes. I have no uh, objection to people doing good works and good deeds and deeds of charity. It's all very wonderful. It's all to be commended. But at the same time, are we being directed by the Holy Spirit? Right? This is the, the, the work of teaching and the work of healing and the work of preaching. All of this is connected to the kingdom of heaven. This is, we read this in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus says to his disciples, go and heal, go and preach, go and... Well, teaching is only the end of Matthew's gospel, right? Jesus is saying, emulate me. Do what I'm doing, right? But we do what, his, we, we do what he does, right? Because he directs us. He points us, he points the way for us. He shows us the project. He shows us the work. And he's the one ultimately he provides. Jesus provided the food. Jesus did the miracle. But he invites us to participate. And that's an incredible privilege to participate in the, in the work, his work, the work of the kingdom of heaven. Like this work that is, uh, that, uh, exp- uh, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and expands his influence and his authority throughout the world. Yes. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the, is, yeah, is the fulfillment of God's promises. Yes, from the beginning. Yes. He comes, we, in fact, we can't fully understand who he is then and now, without understanding the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, Moses, Elijah, the people, the history of the people of Israel. And he comes to express a character of God. He does so, right, through, he heals and meets the needs of others out of compassion. And finally, he commands us, yes, to participate with him. Yes, to participate with him in a Christ-centered, Jesus-centered, yes, compassion that meets, the addresses the needs of those around us. That's what I think is the past, yes, and the present of all of this. And finally, 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 you know, when we come to the Lord's table today, We come to commune with Jesus the healer. We come to commune with Jesus the teacher. We come to commune, yes, with Jesus the provider. So we don't approach the Lord's table in a flippant way. It's not not magic in this. We come with faith. We come in repentance. But we should all come expecting to meet the Lord. And we should come expecting to meet the Lord to provide for our needs, 
right? To show compassion towards us, yes? To show compassion towards us and to bring us, yes, the healing, whether it's social or psychological, emotional or physical, and to bring the, the, um, the, the, our uh, provision to meet our deepest, deepest provision. And just like the, the early disciples had to have faith when Jesus said, you give them something to eat, we also need to approach the Lord's table with faith and to know that we are meeting the Lord and that when we come with, in the right, with the right approach and the right attitude, that he indeed, yes, will also meet with us and uh, express that same uh, compassion and that uh, same provision that he did for his people 2,000 years ago. So, Father in heaven, we pray that um, each one of us will have a better and a deeper understanding of who you are. We pray that we will have a share in a deeper way your compassion, um, the compassion that uh, you have for others. And Lord, we further, we pray that uh, you will give us the faith to obediently, obediently take risks for you. Uh, Lord, not to be overwhelmed, not to be afraid of the society around us, but instead to um, eagerly enter into partnership with you. Lord, we ask that uh, we will not be a Herod the Great, ruled by fear, but instead that uh, your love will fill each of our hearts and that love will overflow to those around us. And we ask these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.